Hello and welcome to Forbes India Podcasts. My name is Abhishek Raghunath and with me today is Zain Wilmans. Wilmans is a South African security consultant who runs his own close body security agency in Mumbai. 2011 is the third anniversary of the Mumbai terror attacks. Wilmans and six other members of his former company were dining at the Souk, the Lebanese restaurant on the rooftop of the Taj, when Ajbal Kasab and his friends struck terror in the heart of India's financial capital. Wilmans and his team saved the lives of 150 guests and staff at the Taj, working non-stop through a harrowing night. And they did it without firing a single shot. Today, we're going to talk about that experience. Thank you. Um, uh, thanks for giving that very uh, nice introduction. Um, yes, uh, look, uh, what happened that day, or the course of those few days, so it was very sad, I guess, for, for any on the and especially, I guess, the Indian um, population, and especially Mumbai, because um, we just happened to be caught up in the wrong place or the right place at the right time or the wrong time. Um, we were there actually just to, uh, to provide security for the Champions League that was coming in, and um, we'd actually just arrived that very evening. Um, and we uh, we just arrived at the hotel, and like most uh, most normal people, we would have a price for the hotel, a very nice hotel, of course, and um, we were just there to sort of um, check in, relax, and uh, go, go have a nice, uh, relaxed, leisurely dinner. Um, unfortunately, it didn't quite out, turn out that way. Um, um, after about a half an hour of uh, sitting down and having dinner, um, then we uh, realized that something wasn't quite right. Um, we heard some uh, couple of explosions going off, but um, our first initial reaction was uh, that maybe it was just firecrackers. Um, and you'll know that in, in Mumbai and in Indian general, a lot of firecrackers, uh, firecrackers did go off. So um, we assumed that it was just festivities going on outside. Um, however, it, it became very, very clear after um, a third very large um, explosion happened that you could see, actually um, sort of feel that it was inside the hotel. And then what were your first reactions then when you realized that this was not just a normal dinner or this was not something just that was happening normally in India? This was something different? What? Well, um, obviously at first it was a little bit of a surprise. Um, like I said before, you, you, it's not one of the things that you... It's not one of the things that really comes into your head at that particular point. We literally just landed off the plane. We had just congregated together. We were sitting down having a nice meal in a nice restaurant. So, of course, our mind was really removed from these, these things. We were technically kind of off duty. Um, but when the reality hit that we were in a situation, um, after we'd spoken to a few people on the ground and we you know, realized that, that what was actually going on, um, I can say that pretty much my mind uh, and the, my colleague's mind, our, our minds, so I can speak for myself, just changed from, from, from one, one course directly to another, which was, um, you can say, like, battle mode or, or whatever you want to, want to call it, because um, you just suddenly realize, okay, we've got to do something. We have to do something here. Um, this is what we do for a living. And um, we had a number of people with us in that restaurant. Yeah, there were around 50 people in the restaurant. So how, how did you, you know, did you sort of organize them? And then what did you decide to do with such a large number of people? Well, the first thing that, that struck me was that there was a lot of, um, at the restaurant that we are in, which is in the suit, there's a lot of uh, glass, and it's in country, you can actually see it from the, the elevator. And uh, my biggest concern at that point was that, number one, if the, the terrorists were to come up into the lift, they would immediately see it, and of course that's the end. And secondly, if they were to throw some sort of explosives, even if the door was locked, then the glass itself would be, you know, incredibly damaging, if not, if not dirty. So we had to get out of the line of sight, and we had to get people out of there. And um, we did a recon. We, and next to the next to the restaurant is a, a conference room, which is a lot more uh, security. So you can say 
what have you. So we um, we made the decision that we were going to everyone in the restaurant, this is what we do, and this is who we are. And if you don't mind, would you like to sort of come with us? And we suggest that everyone moves out of the restaurant. So we took everybody through uh, the back entrance, which was actually through the kitchen. Um, the kitchen door um, directly were then linked through to the other side, which is the conference, uh, conference room. And there you met a uh, hundred Koreans who were there. So you just tripled your number by when you took all these guys over to the um, uh, well, conference room. That's right. It wasn't a hundred Koreans, but it was um, there was a Korean delegation, I believe. There, um, there was a number of different nationalities from all uh, different nationalities. I can say from you know uh, Indian to American to Korean to uh, a number of different nationalities, British as well. So. Um, yes, but our numbers did triple and we were left with around approximately 150 people once we got taken the people from the restaurant into the conference room. That's right. So, and, you know, uh, as you move through the kitchen, uh, how, wh what were some of the security measures that uh, you guys took to ensure that it would be as difficult for the terrorists to come up? Well, we were, and we are trained in a way that we need to, uh, we realized that obviously we were at a slight disadvantage because number one, we don't have firearms. We didn't have firearms at that point. Um, it was very apparent that the terrorists had firearms, they had explosives with them. We didn't know exactly, we didn't have the, the intel at that point to tell us the exact details of what they had. So we had to make the best of that situation. So first of all, our first concern was to get people into a secure environment. And to secure that environment, we then um, we blocked the lifts, we barricaded the doors, and we armed ourselves with everything we could in the kitchen, which was from knives to pieces to anything we could actually find. Um, and then once we could secure, once we actually secure ourselves inside the conference room uh, with those 150 people, we could then um, ask people to uh, sit against the back of the wall, away from all the doors. We blocked all the doors and barricaded them with everything we could find, from chairs and tables, and, and it was quite quite um, substantial. I mean, I think that. Um, it would have been very difficult for them to get in at least the first time. Um, but of course, uh, unfortunately, the thing that was in the back of our mind was explosives. Um, and we needed to figure out our exit strategy because we didn't know how long um, it would take, whether or not people would come for us um, to rescue us or whether we'd have to do it ourselves. The biggest thing in our mind was um, A, the terrorists getting to us, and B, if they didn't get to us, the fire that was also raging. So we were caught in a 50 50 situation at that point. You guys started having dinner at 9 and by the time you guys moved everyone into the conference room, it was around 11.30, 12. Uh, you made an exit uh, only at 4 a.m. So, you know, the hours between 12 and 4, how, how difficult was it uh, to sort of keep su such a huge number of people calm? You know, uh, were there any interesting incidents that happened or could you tell us of some measures that you guys took to ensure that no one panicked? Well, um, one thing we had in our favor is in the conference room, they had a, uh, a microphone, uh, obviously for the speaker of that conference. So we, we did um, uh, make a speech to everyone and explained again who we were once we had everyone gathered. And we told them that this is the situation as far as we know it. Um, this is what we do for a living. And if, um, if you don't mind, we, we, we are going to take over the situation and try and do the best we can to um, secure people and get them out of the building. So once we did that, I would say that probably 95% of the people there were actually they seemed very relieved and pleased that we were there and that we were in a confident uh, demeanor. Um, look, everybody reacts in different, in different ways under pressure. Um, no, not everyone is the same, and um, people do react differently under pressure. There were a couple of a couple of people um, who, uh, let's say, were a little bit unsettled. Um, obviously, they didn't know who we were, just for us to come and tell them this, and maybe they, their reaction was slightly different. Um, but after a couple of minutes of speaking to these relevant people, uh, once they realized you know, that we were there to assist them and to help 
and honestly tell you that throughout that four or five hours, um, people were very cooperative, very brave. Um, they did listen to what we had to say. Um, they understood what we were trying to do. We were trying to keep them away from um, the main areas of threat, uh, which I outlined earlier. Um, we had the problem, of course, of toilets too, um, and we had both men and female, so we set up temporary toilets to both men and female, which was a difficult task in itself. Um, um, so that there was obviously privacy and um, decency there, um, because once we barricaded the doors, we weren't letting anybody out. Um, there was our, our escape plan was that there was an escape, a fire escape. Oh no, well, um, we won't be talking about the escape plan now. If people want to know how to, how did you guys get out? They'll have to. No, uh, read the article in the magazine. Uh, so, but so we'll skip that bit for now. But you know, how did that incident shape your perception of security in India? And you know, you you started your company a couple of years after uh, the terror attacks. And you know, what have you incorporated from uh, that dreadful day into your own company, Protect Security? Um, well, Abhishek, um, I've been coming to India for the last four four and a half years, off and on, on various assignments. Um, and India is, uh, at this point in time, it's on the cusp of obviously great things. It's um, the, the spotlight is on India, um, uh, both as an economy and also as a, as a nation. Um, it, it's grown very quickly, and I think that everyone realized after the 2611 attacks that um, maybe there was a little bit of complacency there, maybe there was a little bit of um, unpreparedness as to what could happen. I think that was the general reaction for most people. Um, the reason, the whole reason why we were there is because we are there to prevent such complacency. We try our best to work, um, obviously, in, in line with, with all different types of agencies, and uh, it's certainly improving and getting much better on a day to day basis. Um, the reason why Protex was formed um, is number one, uh, well, my wife is Indian, um, but secondly, um, uh, I've grown an affinity to India, and uh, thirdly, I think that the, the type of security that we can bring to India on a, on a private security basis is that our general approach to everything is more preventive rather than reactive. And I think that generally speaking at this point in time, if, if, if the shift of security perception in India can move from um, reactive into preventive, which means intelligence work, doing proper advance work, planning it properly, and certainly not complacency. There, there is a little bit of complacency, um, I think, uh, in general. Um, I think it's not just in here. I think it's the, the world over. Is that um, human attitude generally is that, um, well, if it hasn't happened yet, then I mustn't worry about this. I mustn't um, you know, dwell on it too much, and life goes on. Um, but unfortunately, the, the times have changed. 2311 certainly did highlight that point, and um, it, it's better to always be preventive. So the type of security work that we we're engaging is that we try to think, you know, at least five, ten steps ahead of what could happen. And unfortunately, sometimes you have to think the unthinkable, um, mm -hmm. because if you if you don't think that, um, then you're always going to be behind. So um, the, the point is that you should always be thinking the unthinkable, thinking what could happen in every type of scenario. Um, I think that if in general, if all sort of security agencies and uh, would think that way and start planning accordingly. Of course, I think that um, it would make a huge positive impact uh, to secure uh, not just India but you know anywhere else. Um, it, it, it comes down to human attitude, I think, at the end of the day, and um, the type of perceptions there are. Um, we certainly are looking to uh, take on uh, ex uh, special forces from the Indian um, military. Uh, we want to uh, train them properly uh, uh, from the private sector point of view, um, because the private sector and the military sector, of course, are two different things. 
um, but we want to uh, engage these people, bring them into our fold, and really improve the standard of uh, and the perception of security in India, so that they are seen as true professionals and people that can actually uh, be preventative rather than reactive. I hope that answers your question. Yes, Zain, it does. And at a time when the whole world is looking at India to do business, it is essential for India to come across as a safe place where you can live and go out for dinner and not worry about terrorists attacking you. It was great talking to you, and stay tuned for more Forbes India podcasts. Goodbye.